You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and supported by the Western Weekender. For three decades, Penrith and the Blue Mountains have turned to the Western Weekender. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Here is your host, Jonathan Robinson-Lees. Liam Gray was raised in the Blue Mountains and developed a love for music at a young age. Surrounded by a supportive family, Liam was able to explore the intricate sounds of musical history which he credits in his craft today. Attending Wimley High School, Liam immersed himself into various extracurricular musical groups. This exposure, plus his creative upbringing, helped develop a strong understanding and respect for the musicians who have come before him. Despite an enjoyable upbringing filled with endless possibilities, Liam has faced personal challenges. Taking solace in his musical craft, Liam has been inspired, teaching music, performing to others and sharing his passion with those around him. Liam joins us for the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Liam, welcome to the Passion and Perspective podcast. Thanks, mate. Thank you so much for having me. Liam, you formed the Liam Gray trio in 2019 and shortly after uh, this year you released your debut EP called Your Light. What was the inspiration for that album? Through um, my studies at uni and uh, a little bit further back in high school I got you know pretty involved with jazz. It's always kind of really um, hit some sort of nerve with me in, in a good way you know I've really um, become quite passionate about about jazz and in particular I wanted to put together um, a trio where I could write a couple of my own tunes and then have have a couple of, you know, standards in there that, um, that are some of my favorites. And, you know, I had two guys on board that were really close friends. Adrian Keevil is one of them and Callan Captain is the other one. Um, and I wanted to really be able to put something together, which would kind of showcase their musicality as well. Um, so a trio is obviously quite a small setting. It's very exposed, very raw. Um, and, you know, we, re- we recorded the whole thing in, in quite a short space of time. We, we did, all the, uh, did all the band, the rhythm section stuff in a day. Um, and then I went back to sing over it later. So, so it was very, um, I suppose, very raw. It, there, was, there were aspects of it that were um, quite, uh, you know, vulnerable sounding almost, you know. Um, not everything was perfect. And, you know, we tried to get as perfect as we could. Um, um, and I vocally speaking, tried to come at it from trying to just do the best that I was, you know, be the best that I was on that day. But I, I'm really happy with what came out because it was, I feel like it was really true to what that music is about. It's very live and it's very in the moment. Um, and, you know, the true nature of that sort of music is not really, not really rehearsed, you know. It's kind of very much about um, just, you know, using your your yeah, your, 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 your practice and using your, um, your musical kind of mind to put something together. And, um, so I, yeah, I guess it was just, uh, me wanting to put something out there for starters, you know, first one, um, and, um, yeah, just see, see where it went. You talk about kind of, I guess, the vulnerability and the rawness of that album. And I think for, for any creative, right, there's that balance between wanting to get things absolutely perfect, but spending a lot of time on that. And then the other channel is you just got to get stuff out there, right? Were you, were you aware of that balance throughout the process? Absolutely. And I think in the last few years, I've tried to um, give myself a little more grace and, and understand that, um, you know, you can, you prepare as much as you can, um, you know, like any, anything you, you've got to kind of have all your ducks in a row as much as possible before you go in there. 
But then once you go in and you do it and it's done, you know, learning to be happy with, you know, this is what I, this is the product that I could put out on the day. And I feel the same way about playing live. Um, you, you, you put it out there and then it's, it's, you, you got to kind of come to terms with it and, and be like, well, this is kind of a, a bit of a time stamp. It's a bit of a time capsule on where I was at at that time. And for, for, for me, that, that's a really nice thing. Um, it feels really kind of organic to me. So, but that, but yeah, there, there was a little bit of that perfectionist mindset coming in, uh, throughout the process. I, I ended up, I did redo a couple of vocal, um, vocal takes and stuff, and I'm happy I did in the end, but, uh, but for a lot of it, it was, um, you know, you got to kind of think about when we were coming in and thinking about overdubbing some things and, and re retaking some things. It was, we had to balance that thing of, well, you know, we had a, we had a particular kind of energy and, and thing on the day. So we were all. Uh, the synergy within the group was great. So, you know, would we want to mess with that by redoing anything? So, yeah, it was all things I thought about. Um, but, yeah, I try to these days just um, be be a lot more, um, you know, at peace with, with what happens, you know, when it happens. So. <laughs> and the, the bringing together of an album and, and getting it out there, there's the writing, the recording, yeah. the producing that, of that end product. Yeah. Is there a certain element that you are drawn to or you enjoy the most in that process? Um, yeah, look, I guess I really like writing. I don't do an ex a really huge amount of it, but when I do, I really, I really do get into it because it's, it's, um, it's something that, you know, um, I do have a lot of fun with, uh, and it's something else that I can, you know, um, spend time working on apart from just, uh, just playing, you know, just executing music. But, um, I, the recording process for me is a really interesting one, um, because uh, and any any musician will will attest to this, but it's um, there's uh, it's very exposed um, and it's very um, informative about your your own playing. So um, you know I haven't done a huge amount of recording, but I've done a fair bit over the last few years. And and the one thing you find is there's uh, there's there's nowhere to hide, and there's no you know um, exactly what your sound is is just laid bare. Um, and it's quite interesting, particularly hearing that back, you know, you're listening back to the takes and you're listening back to, um, you know, how you went and you're comparing, uh, different takes of different tracks and you kind of have to, um, I've, what I've tried to do over the last few years is, um, I try and listen to myself as if I was someone else. And that, I find that, that process really fun because it's kind of, kind of stepping outside of yourself. So I guess that's part of what draws me to the recording process you know, first and foremost, I'm probably more comfortable as a live performer, but the recording process is just such a good way of, um, really training yourself to, um, to be, you know, uh, critical in a good way. Um, and just to make sure that, you know, you can learn a lot, you know, once you finish a project, uh, a recording project, you can go, well, look, here's, you know, take stock and you go, look, here's what I'll, what I'll work on for next time. Um, I could execute this better. And you just mold your sound, and it's really it's something that quite often in a live gig situation you don't pick up on, or there's too many other things on your mind that get in the way. So it's a nice kind of way to to reflect, I guess, you know. And what value, Liam, do you put on other people's feedback? I think, as you said, it's always important to get independent eyes. But if you're going to ask every single person again, it's a handbrake. You end up losing that kind of original element but but how important is it to get a bit of independent feedback oh it's it's it is huge it is huge um uh musos um in general can be uh, can feel very personal about their stuff and 
And, um, but, but I've never been precious about, um, you know, really wanting to hear what people think. Um, I think you can get some really good perspective from that too. And the, the people that are, that really care about your project doing well, the most will give you the most honest feedback, um, which is great. And, and I've got a lot of friends who are musicians and they'll always do that. Um, they'll always kind of, you know, be honest with things, which is great, you know, in an encouraging way, of course, but um, I think especially if it's your own project and you've been working on it for a while, um, you can really kind of, uh, because you're so close to it, you can lose a little bit of subjectivity sometimes. Um, and I think it's a really, really healthy thing for, uh, not just a musician, but any kind of creative person to, to ask out, to, 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 you know, ask someone, look, what do you, what do you think of this? Can I, is there any more I can do with it? Um, where would, where do you think I should take this? Um, cause sometimes you do just kind of get so in your head about it, you lose a little bit of subjectivity. Um, but yeah, it's, it's super important, I reckon. Yeah. And being in your own head, like you mentioned there, do you also think it's important to sometimes just put a project down, yep. leave it for a week, leave it for a month, leave it for a year and then come back to it and then put the finishing touches on it? Exactly. Yeah, I, I definitely, I do think that that can happen. You see that a lot with writing, you know, you'll start writing, um, a song or, you know, a tune or something. And you might have, you might have a verse here or a chorus or something, um, or sometimes even less than that. And you, you just can't get it to, um, you know, to, you know, become a whole piece or a whole song. Um, and you know, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit of a cliche, you know, they say, oh, you know, when you write, it'll just come to you and it flows and they, anyway, they say all this, but sometimes it just doesn't. And that you, you need to you know, put them on the back burner for a little while until, um, you just, uh, you experience more and you, you learn more and you start playing around with different ideas. Um, and then later on down the track, one of those ideas that you were kind of getting stuck on, um, might fit into, you know, as a puzzle piece somewhere else, you know, or it might mean something different to you at that point. Um, it might even just, you know, your own personal taste. You know, I, um, I had a song years ago that, um, I kind of wrote when I was, uh, you know, quite young, 15 or something. And I ended up, I, I kind of hated it as I got older. I was like, oh, it's so, it's so juvenile and it's so, you know, um, but it, but it, something about it seemed quite charming to me later on. And I, and I was like, oh, you know what? Like I, that is quite a, um, a, a cool thing. I'm, I'm quite happy with that. Um, so things can definitely mean, um, something else to you later on. Um, but yeah, definitely, uh, anything that's creative like that, you want to just be able to, um, know when to call it and be like, I'm coming back to this later. Or sometimes if you feel like you can get it out of yourself, go, I'm going to push through this and I'm going to really, um, try and nut out a whole song or a whole tune, um, today and I can tweak it later. You know, it's kind of, um, striking that balance between being really meticulous and being, um, really strict with yourself and, and, um, and then, allowing for that time, you know, that time element. Cause it's kind of, yeah, I feel like, um, sometimes you'll get a song out in, uh, in, you know, less than a couple of hours. So I, I, one of the, the tunes on my EP, um, making waves was kind of like that. Um, it, I had the melody in mind and I wrote the melody down first. I notated it and I was playing it on guitar and then I started singing it and I really liked how the melody, um, was shaped. I really liked the contour of it. Um, and I started putting some harmony to it, put some chords to it. Um, and I just had these lyrics, uh, that sort of came to me. It was kind of, um, it's a bit of kind of a homage to my partner. Um, uh, she's always, um, 
been, you know, uh, 150%, you know, supportive of what I do. And so it was kind of that sort of thing. Um, and that was kind of out, you know, um, out there and, and, and as a song in a matter of a couple of hours where other, you know, other things I've written, um, you know, take, take some time and they take coming back and going, oh, now I'm rubbing that out and starting that again, you know, so, um, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's, it's really important to know when to call it, when to persevere. Um, and, uh, but yeah, but you never stop learning where those lines are, you know. And Liam, you grew up in the Blue Mountains around the Springwood and Wimberley area. What was your childhood like? Yeah, um, it was, I had a great, great, great childhood. Um, I, uh, lived for the most part, um, with my dad and my stepmom. Um, and we had a, we had quite a big, big, um, mixed family of, you know, step siblings and, um, and I've got a lot of, you know, half siblings as well. So big family. It was, it was, it was great. You know, I grew up, uh, in a, for, for most of my schooling years, I grew up in a house of like six, you know, um, so it was very busy. Um, you know, lots of people around all the time, but it was, it was really, um, really nice to have that, you know, a lot of people to look up to, a lot of people to, you know, to have a lot of fun with. Um, and, you know, and kind of music played into that a lot as well. Um, uh, I guess I was, uh, really influenced by my dad's music. He would play music quite often around the house, um, especially on weekends and stuff, you know, turn it up and, and play it on the, on the stereo in the lounge room. And it would kind of, you know, filter through the house and it was a nice way to, yeah, to be exposed to, to that sort of thing. Who are the artists? Because I'll jump in and I've mentioned this on a few other podcasts. That for me, it was Queen, it was Super Tramp, it was Daddy Cool. They mm-hmm. were the songs that used to get blared out through the house. Did you have particular artists that you, you, I guess, connect back to your childhood? Absolutely, yeah. So definitely uh, the Beatles in a big way, um, Eric Clapton, um, you know, so, and, and all the facets of Eric Clapton, Cream, Derek and the Dominoes, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, Pink Floyd, uh, Traffic, um, you mentioned Supertramp, bit of Supertramp as well. Um, yeah, there was, it was quite a, quite a mix in there. Um, it was, you know, I, there was, there was, it was really heavy on the blues element as well. You know, um, I, I kind of, when I first started getting, um, exposed to music, there was a lot of that in there, you know, BB King, um, Buddy Guy, Stevie Ray Vaughan, people like that. So, um. Yeah, I had a very, um, probably a very guitarist <laughs> upbringing to music. Um, and, um, and of course, you know, uh, with dad, dad played guitar as well. So that kind of, you know, just, they all fed into each other really. But, um, but yeah, definitely that kind of sixties, seventies era, you know, um, a bit of Led Zeppelin as well and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so it was, it was quite a, but it was always a mix, you know, um, which was which was quite nice, but uh, yeah. And throwing ahead, you know, if if you choose to have a family of your own, yeah. aside from playing your own music to your kids, what what type of artist do you think you would be passing on to the next generation? Yeah, look, um, I feel like uh, I feel like they're going to be a little bit bombarded with <laughs> with a lot of different um, you know types of music. Um, I would like to think I could get them into into liking some jazz and stuff, but I also want to you know I want them to to kind of, um, you know, hear a lot of, you know, their, their grandfather's music, you know, my dad's music, you know, um, so I, you know, I think all kids have to be exposed to, you know, like you said, you know, the classic super tramp, you know, Queen, you know, the Beatles, people like that, you know, it's kind of such a, uh, for me, I, uh, and I might be a bit biased on this, but 
it's such a fundamental um, grounding to of you know musicality to grow up with. It's like oh, you know, you gotta gotta listen to you know. I think I listened to the Beatles discography, you know, a thousand times. <laughs> it was you know, so a lot of that stuff. Um, hopefully, I can get them into listening to um, some of the old you know jazz classics as well. Hopefully, I can get them into some. Sarah Vaughan, some Ella Fitzgerald, that'd be nice. I wouldn't be complaining. No, but look, I, I think, um, and a lot of, you know, great artists that are around now, of course. Um, you know, I also listen to a lot of indie stuff as well. So, you know, um, uh, I love people like Rex Orange County and stuff like that. Like, you know, it's, I don't like to kind of box myself in too much. Um, I like some Arctic Monkeys, you know, like some kind of rock stuff as well. So, look, I, I think it's, uh, especially with music and young people, kids and stuff, it's, it's important for them to um, really find out what they like. You know, I'll push them. I'll push them a little bit. You know, but um, uh, I find if you, if you push young people too much and, and kind of tell them uh, what's good for them, you know, uh, musically speaking, they tend to uh, resent that a little bit. So I don't want to be one of those people. But yeah, it'll be a mixed bag for sure. Do you look back on you talk about? I guess people being pushed into things. Do you look back fondly on your childhood about? Just musically, I guess, the, the opportunities you had, but also the exposure you had? Absolutely, absolutely. When I picked up the guitar, uh, well, actually, it was funny. You know, when I was really young, I, I played trumpet first. Um, I picked up the trumpet in um, I, probably year three or year four. Um, I was at Falkenbridge Public School and joined the school band. I was playing trumpet and, and it was, um, um, uh, you know, I liked it like any young boy did. It was kind of loud and kind of interesting and... Um, but I, I was never that into the trumpet. Um, looking back at it now, I'm like, oh, I really wish I, I hung on to the trumpet, you know? Um, but I played that all up into high school and stuff and ended up, I ended up giving it, giving it away because I knew that guitar, you know, and, and singing was my, um, my real kind of love and passion. So I kind of just thought, look, I'm this, I'm kind of flogging a dead horse here with the trumpet. So I'll, I'll keep going with the guitar and stuff. But, um, Look, the opportunities I had were, were, were awesome, really encouraging parents and stuff, you know, as, uh, as far as music was concerned. started taking lessons quite young. And, um, and by the time I got into, uh, by the time I started at Wimberley High School, um, you know, there were, there were so many opportunities even at that school that were just, just phenomenal. Like that, you know, Wimberley High has, um, has a really, really strong music program um, and particularly when I was going through there, um, there was just so much you could do, you know, there was, um, uh, there was, you know, concert band, um, they had jazz band, I ended up joining jazz band, playing guitar, um, there was, you know, vocal group, I ended up doing vocal group as well, which was, um, which was a lot of fun, um, and they really kind of strived to get, you know, get the musical kids doing a lot of extracurricular stuff, you know, um, there was all the, the public schools, um, concerts and stuff. They had like the Pulse concert down at the, down at the opera house and things like that. So they were always, you know, finding new ways for, for kids to perform and, and, you know, get themselves out there. Um, even just down to playing on assemblies, you know, when we were, when we were younger, um, did a lot of those. I did a lot of those, um, um, with, um, with, the, with my old band I used to have with some friends of mine. Um, so we would, we would frequently do that and that was kind of our way of, um, you know, getting our first taste of, you know, playing for people and, um, super jittery, you know, super nervous. And, and I think we went out there and, uh, we, you know, we, we wrote some songs too. So it was a kind of our first taste of playing our own stuff. Um, 
and then of course we'd go out and play some some Clapton and stuff. So, um, yeah, you know, school for me was was such a just coming together of, of different aspects of music for me, you know, because it was kind of learning to read in band and it was um, learning to perform. Um, it, and then it was the actual training itself, you know, starting lessons with singing um, and that sort of thing. Um, so there was just, it was really well fostered um, and I'm super thankful for that, definitely. How did you go school-wise, that balance between the theoretical stuff and the prac stuff? Did you... Yeah. Were you able to immerse yourself in both? Were you drawn to one or the other? Um, in the earlier stages, definitely more drawn to the playing aspect. Um, it's it's only kind of uh, later on now that I'm I'm um, you know kind of post school. I kind of immersed myself deeply in the theoretical aspect. I did quite a bit of it too going through school. Um, you know, with HSC and and things like that. Um, but it was uh, I think it's a guitarist thing. I mean, I learned to read. That's that's um, uh, which I was glad about. But guitarists, um, they just want to play all the time, and it's you know you can't get them to shut up. Um, so I guess I was more drawn to the playing aspect. Um, and then it was towards the end of school, going through HSC, and then after school, um, getting ready to go to uni, that I really got into the theoretical aspect, and I it actually became quite. Um, it became something that I wanted to study in my free time. I did heaps of that. You know. I, um, I would, you know, um, study theoretical stuff on the train, you know, to and from uni and stuff like that. Um, so it was, yeah, later on it was more theoretical. In the beginning it was just like, oh, I just want to play, you know. <laughs> and you spoke about the influence that, you know, past musicians had on you growing up. Yeah. How important do you think it is for any musician to, to have a respect for what's come before them? We've had... On the show, you know, Annie Burbank, you had Jarrah Ferris Smith talk about the same 60s and 70s influence. But how important is that respect of the past and the people who have come before you? Yeah, I'm huge. Uh, in, 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 in my mind, it's, um, you, you have to have that as a good starting point, as a good jumping off point. And if you, if you don't know what came before, it's kind of hard to um, really shape where you're going to take music because I feel like um, music as sort of a, a timeline has always been that sort of thing. And that's across all genres, you know. Um, uh, it's taking it, learning what's been done before and then figuring out a way uh, for, for you to carry that forward. And that's where your indiv- that individuality comes from, I, I think. So, you know, for example, uh, w- with jazz as a genre, um, it's pretty heavy on the, you know, learning from the masters, you know, that aspect. Um, and it's very very drilled into to all kind of you know young students learning the music and that sort of thing um it was you know it's um sorry still is important for me um i do a lot of that myself um and it's very much based off kind of the apprentice system it's it's a very apprentice system based music so you you look back and go well how did they how did they do this um and you learn to do that which which can take it's probably not the right word, but I, you know, might take a bit of copying at first, just copying what the what the masters did before you. Um, but then, you, you, if you do that enough, just your own experiences in life will, will start to will start to make you want to leave your own mark. And and um, um, I feel like I've got you know light years to go with that, but that's what's exciting for me is um, um, learning learning what my sound is, um, both as a guitarist. Um, and as a vocalist, so um, I'm trying to uh, 
uh, you know, I, well, it was funny. I did quite a bit of vocal teaching over the last couple of years, and I liked to pass forward um, something that I heard. Uh, it was an old quote from Tony Bennett, um, and he said, "Look, if you if you try and make your sound sound like any one person, you're copying, right? You're you're being a mimic. But if you take five, six, seven, eight of your favorite artists and you take elements that you like from each of their playing or each of their singing and you amalgamate them into this, uh, this, you know, big kind of ball of, you know, all these different kind of melting pot of aspects, you know, you can recreate that yourself, um, or try to recreate that. And that's the beginning of what will end up being your own sound. And it's, I think that's, that's a really interesting way to look at it is, um, there's a there's a big difference between copying and being influenced mm. by people, um, and influence I think is the most healthy thing, you know there is in music, um, but I think that begins at, at a young age it begins with with um, with copying you know you copy and then you go ah oh, okay I see the mechanics of that um, how can I do that uh, whilst trying to be as individual as I can. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Jumping back to, I guess, when you first started playing guitar, started singing, do you recall that feeling? You know, you talked about being on, on stage in front of your school peers. Like, do you recall yeah. that feeling? And what was that emotion that came with it? Yeah. Um, uh, absolute terror in the beginning. Because, <laughs> you you know, you go from um, sitting in your bedroom playing, uh, and I, I did that a lot, um, to, you know, it's, it's funny... Um, when you get nervous, you know, they say the first thing that happens is your hands shake, you know. So you're, you're doing this thing where, you know, and, and, I, and I wasn't very proficient at it yet at that stage. And so you're, you're doing this thing that involves fine motor skills in your hands and you're kind of shaking from nerves. And you've got all, you know, you've got all your friends there too. And, um, you know, uh, whilst the guitar kind of, I think, ticks the box as being a uh, you know in in um, you know a cool instrument, <laughs> yeah. um, you're still going like oh you know I'm doing this in front of my friends. What are they going to think? Um, you know, and you're you're kind of we were young young teens, you know, thirteen or something at the time. So um, you know you it's it's a time when um, it's scary to stand out. You know, you I think when people are kind of going starting to go through to their teenage years, you kind of just want to disappear into the background and just kind of cruise on through without drawing too much attention to yourself. Um, but when we started doing that, I just, you know, started performing at assemblies and stuff. It kind of gave me a little taste for what it was like. And, and you do find that, um, it just gets easy with the more you do it, the more, you know, um, you know, I've had people say in the past later on in life, they said, Oh, do you, do you get nervous now performing? Um, and I don't anymore. And it just, but I look back on like, it was, it's kind of fond memories to look back on times where, I was, you know, really, really just overcome with fear. Um, but it's, it, it really helps to build your character a lot, I think. 
and um, so that, yeah, it was it's a it was a good feeling in a, in, and you'd you'd finish and you'd kind of you know um, whether it was, you know, assembly or another school performance or something, um, and you'd finish and you'd get off stage and you go right well well I did that you know uh, tick that off the list you know one one more kind of you know notch on my belt um, it's all kind of character building I think at that point you know the early stages are um, getting you over the fear of doing things in front of other people. Um, and you realize as you grow up as well, when you were an audience member watching someone do something, um, you don't want that person to be scared. You don't want that person to be nervous. So it's kind of, you don't realize that when you're a kid, you're like, Oh, everyone's, everyone's going, um, you know, why are they doing that? Like, that's, that's weird. What are you doing? You know? Um, but later on you learn, you know, um, people want you to do well. People want you to, and people are excited to see you doing things, you know, um, even, um, as kind of, um, early stages musically as I was at that time, I was excited to still be just giving it a go. You know, we, I wasn't that, you know, developed at that stage, but that's what it's about. That's how you develop. It's just, you know, putting yourself out. It's interesting point you make, Liam, around being uncomfortable because that's how people grow, right? In, in day to day life, whether it's music, sport, entertainment, just generally you actually need to put yourself in positions where it's as uncomfortable as all hell but you actually look back on it and go you know what that wasn't so bad and you know I've had guests on the show who've talked about travel and the importance of travel in terms of you end up in a potentially third world country with nothing but the clothes on your back but you get through it and that becomes a new normal for you so how important do you think it is for, for any especially in that teenage age, for, for someone to go to try something that makes them uncomfortable but know that they're going to go through that. How important is that? Uh, I think it's really, really, really important. Um, it's kind of that whole leap of faith thing. You know, you've got to try and just find ways to, you know, it, not in like a, um, you know, you don't want to uh, do things before you're ready, but definitely just um, finding ways to, to, to stretch yourself is just, um, well, I've found the, the thing that helps is in music, um, not just in music, but anything that's kind of performance based, um, the confidence aspect, people say, um, you know, if you, if you're feeling a little bit, uh, a little bit overwhelmed, you know, the whole fake it till you make it thing. Um, and I think that applies a lot to singers, um, from what I've seen over, over the years, even teaching as well, singers, um, uh, often struggle the most with, um, their confidence because they don't have um, something physical to hold in their hands. You know, you watch a guitar player play, you know, uh, a classical piece or something. They can kind of sit there with the guitar on their knee and play this, play this thing. Or a piano player sits at a at a piano and they've got a vessel in front of them to anchor themselves on. Um, and I see singers all the time do this, where they they like I don't know what to do with my hands. What do I? You know, <laughs> they're holding the mic and they'll start to play with the mic cable or they fiddle with, you know, the, with their clothes or they, you know, um, and the whole fake it till you make it thing is, um, I guess another one of those leaps of faith that you take, but you just go, I'm just going to try, um, being confident or what I think that would look like. Um, and if you do that enough, that just becomes your default. Um, so you kind of go, you know, after a while you kind of go, well, Hey, that kind of worked. I didn't really know if that looked natural. I didn't really know um, if that you know came off well. But if I if I do this enough, I feel like this will become um, my standard 
setting, you know, confident. Um, but, um, but yeah, you know, so it's, it's always that thing of just keep pushing, keep pushing, you know, um, even if it's, you know, uh, not a high pressure situation, even if you're just practicing in the, in the, in the practice room, no matter what your instrument is or what your focus is, you know, it might not even be musical, but just whatever your, your thing is that you have to work on daily, you know, you want to be working on things that, uh, that you can't currently do, you know, or you, you haven't got it down to a T yet. If you're using all your time, you know, doing things you can already do, yeah, it feels great. You know, you, you go, well, that sounded really cool, I, you know, but you've done that a thousand times. Um, it's about, you know, using your practice time to do everything that you wouldn't go out and do in a performance situation, just to prepare, prepare yourself for what might come. And through those teenage years, did you visualize yourself in front of thousands? Did you have ambitions for the bright lights, winning ARIA awards, yeah. or, or still do you still have those oh, grand like, ambitions? I think probably in the beginning, probably in the beginning. Um, I think you know, um, I don't think I thought about it really specifically. But but every young, you know, kid growing up doing music has some of those. You know, um, you kind of imagine yourself sometimes, like when you walk into school or something, you'll, you'll imagine yourself like in a film clip or something, you know, all those kind of things. I mean, yeah, look, I, I think the whole pop star thing probably, um, uh, you know, it was probably something that I thought about early on, but then I remember very distinctly in high school, just thinking, look, if I can just do this for a living and, you know, grow as a, as a musician and artistically and, and just, you know, um, work on my craft and yeah, make, make other people feel good in the process. That's, that's enough for me, you know, it's, um, uh, it, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting into the jazz thing now and, and have been for, for a while. So that's not, not typically known for filling, you know, stadiums and arenas, but, um, but you know, I, I, there's still, I would, of course, you know, everyone wants a bit of commercial success with their, with their music, with their, with their, their creative product that they're putting out. Um, and I'll still, I'm still pushing for that. And, and you always just want success, um, and to, you know, spread your, your, your work, you know, you want, you want your work to go as far and wide as it possibly can. So if that means, you know, um, something takes off at some stage, that'd be great. If not, that's also cool. You know, Liam, you attended the Australian Institute of Music and graduated in 2017 with a bachelor of music. What were your biggest learnings professionally? Do you think from that course? Um, I think just being, being really organized. Um, I think some of the biggest things I learned at uni was, um, were not necessarily, um, to do with the musical craft. They were to do with, um, how to be a professional. So being really organized, um, and also just connecting with other people. Um, I've done a lot of projects post, you know, post uni, um, with, um, other you know, friends that I made throughout the, throughout my course, um, and other musicians and just, you, you need to kind of make those connections early, figure out, um, you know, who you're on a similar wavelength with and kind of go with that and see if you can connect with them and say, well, look, look, let's connect here. Let's collaborate here. And that sort of thing. I think it, it taught me to, um, it definitely instilled in me the, the, the need to, um, you know, never lose a day where you, you, you haven't worked on your craft. Um, I think if, if anything, um, if you learn anything from going into Sydney 
um, especially coming from, you know, being a mountains kid. Um, you know, I, I, I want to say I already knew this, of course, but um, there are so many, so many people out there who are um, just so good, just so um, incredibly, um, you know, talented and gifted at what they do. Um, and talented and gifted is kind of, you know, um, that comes into play, but the, you know, most of the time it's just from incredibly working hard people, you know? Um, so it kind of instilled in me the need to, um, you know, just practice every day, um, find ways to find ways to overcome new things so that I can grow, um, and not be complacent. Uh, because, you know, any time that you're not working on something, uh, working on your craft, there's, you know, thousands of people out there who are, and, and that's not meant to make it seem like a competition because it's not, um, that's meant to say like, well, look, they're, they're working towards this. You work towards yours. Don't compare yourself to other people, but just know that there are other people out there who are, you know, incredibly, incredibly driven. And if, if you want to, if you, yeah, if you want to try and make your mark, then you got to, you got to kind of be the same, you know, um, you need to be finding ways to further yourself, um, get yourself out there as well. Um, I think I spent a lot of, you know, a lot of years, um, being a little, um, complacent with my, uh, perhaps my social media and stuff. So I'm trying, you know, over the last couple of years, I've tried to be better with that and, you know, learning different ways to, to market and that sort of thing. But yeah, with AIM, I think it was just that discovery of like, there's so much more out there than just your little world and you. Um, and if, you know, if you want to, um, if you want to make your mark on it, you really can, you really, really can. You just have to connect with everybody, um, and be open to working, um, in a whole range of different environments and with different styles and with different people. So yeah, I think that's probably the biggest couple of things I learned from that. Yeah. And it's, you talk about putting your name out there because it's not a natural thing to want to promote yourself. Mm. You know, a lot of us, it's just, you know, if, if something gets picked up, that's great, but I don't want to actively put my name out there, but, yeah. you know, through the podcast that I've done and, you know, with your music, again, it stretches your comfort zone, it becomes a normal, and I find, and, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts, the general feedback is, that's awesome, good, like, good on you for even doing it. Yes. Is that, the, is that similar to the feedback you get? Absolutely, absolutely, and I think this is something that I, I learnt um, to... Um, be really comfortable with is, um, cause I think it is that thing. It's like, Oh, I don't want to seem, uh, conceited or something by, you know, um, that's just not the case at all. If, if you, if your, your art is your, um, is an extension of yourself, um, and you spruiking that and being like, I, I'm inviting people in and being like, I want you to see what I've been working on. Here's what I'm doing currently. You know, this is my current project and just, you know, we're kind of wearing your heart on your sleeve. Um, it's always a, it's almost always a, a you know, a, just an overwhelming positive response. Um, because like I said before, people want you to do well and people want to, you know, see you working on your own stuff and, and bringing, you know, offering new things to the community. The music community is, is a really, um, welcoming one. Um, and I think there's a, there's a massive difference between, um, you know, spruiking your art as an extension of yourself and being like, this is part of me. I want you all to, you know, I want to know what you think of it. Um, it you're not spruiking, you know, you're not spruiking yourself. You're not being conceited. You're just offering people um, something that they can, you know, uh, digest and, and take what they want from, um, which I think is a, a really cool thing. Um, yeah, you know, you, the, very rarely um, 
have I ever kind of put anything out. Um, actually, probably never have I put anything out, whether it just be just, you know, some posts about what's coming up, some gigs or some recording or, you know, um, I've never put anything out and been like, well, I, w I really wish I didn't spruik that, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, um, you just, you have to, you just have to, you know. Throughout the time at university, Liam, did you feel the pressure to, to get a nine to five and I'll use inverted commas to get a normal job, whether that be internal or external pressure? Yeah. Um, it's something that I thought about, um, but through uni, um, it, it didn't hit me that wasn't kind of, you know, something so much that I thought about then because at that stage it was just like, no, nah, I'm, I'm the only thing I'm ever going to do is, is music. Um, and for, for the last few years, um, I've been able to do that, you know, just, just work in the musical arena, um, and, and music, uh, orientated things, whether it be teaching, um, you know, I was doing the, the running the kids guitar, Ensemble at um, Wimberley High for a little while, which was really rewarding. I love doing that. Um, and, you know, my gigs and things like that. So um, I've been able to make that work. I think it's when things like this year happen that you start to go, um, okay, like, you know, things are um, perhaps a little more feeble than, you know, than we thought. Um, and you, you kind of realise, uh, I think there was there was quite a, quite a long time there where I was doing... Um, lots, lots and lots of gigs, um, and many each week. And I was, I may have got to a point where I was just so comfortable with it and kind of, um, not, I, I didn't, I didn't take it for granted, but I was like, well, this is, this is it. You know, it's like, I can, you can do this forever. And when something like this year happens, you, you, you kind of have to very quickly reassess things. I'm still kind of working on that at the moment, but I've got some, some great new projects and stuff coming up and some new, work um in the pipeline so hopefully you know i can still keep it all musical um but i think that there's there's there is a big pressure um on on young creative people you know not just musicians but um i know a lot of people who are actors and stuff as well and they go through a similar thing where um people really um misconstrue what it is to be a professional creative quite often um people don't really get it. You know, if, if I was to say to someone, um, I'm a working professional musician, um, it doesn't really, they don't really know what to make of that. Uh, you know, quite often they'll, they'll go, oh, so, um, are you, are you famous? You know, are you on the, are you, are you a millionaire? Yeah, are you a millionaire? You know, you, you got a yacht and, you know, um, and that's just, it's just not what it is. But, you know, for what it is for me is, um, uh, being able to, um, you know, play music in a multitude of different arenas, whether it be, you know, venues um, and clubs and that sort of thing, um, or weddings or people's parties or, you know, corporate events and that sort of thing. You do a lot of that sort of stuff where it's, it, you know, when it comes down to it, the definition of it is like you, you're playing music for people, you're providing a service and you're getting paid for it. And I know that um, actors really struggle with this as well, where when they, they might even go to uni and become... Um, uh, become officially uh, qualified, you know, and trained as actors. But people will go, well, they're um, they're an aspiring young actor or actress, and it's always aspiring until they get their big break. And it's like, well, that's um, that's not the case. And I think it's the same with with music. You know, the, that's kind of the pop star mentality of you know that's what it means to make it. 
Um, uh, I think a lot of people still um, see that as the just the pinnacle of where you where you get to as a musician. Where really, um, in my mind, and, and it might be different for a lot of others, but in my mind, uh, the pinnacle is being able to support yourself and live comfortably playing music, putting your own projects out there, and just offering something to the community. Um, and if you can do all that, and then you know, if should something else happen later, um, and something gets picked up, fantastic. If not, that's fine. Um, but the yeah, the, the nine to five thing for me uh, now. I I could you know I I could maybe do um, something sort of on that that sort of thing. Um, I would like to think it would still be musical based, but I I kind of been doing music for so long now that um, I kind of don't know what I would do with that lifestyle. You know, it's kind of um, I've spent so long between teaching and playing where it kind of it chops and changes all the time, and you you're um, you know playing um, a bunch of different venues with a bunch of different people. Um, and I, I don't think I could ever not have that now. It's, it's kind of, um, it's quite an addictive thing because you're like, wow, you know, constantly collaborating with different people. Um, the nine to five thing, I, I don't think I could sit down in a, in any one space all the time and just, and kind of, um, not that that would be, you know, necessarily what it would be, but, um, yeah, I just think, um, this is now it's, um, now it's definitely all I'll ever do. Um, but I think even in uni, um, it was still, I'm going to make this happen no matter what. Um, and it's probably going to be sticky at times and it's probably going to be, you know, going to have times of hardship. And I think this year has been one of those, but it's, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to see, you know, keep my options open. Um, you know, but I think it's just, you gotta, you gotta, push and music being a professional musician in today's world means having your fingers in a lot of pies and having a lot of projects and jobs going at the same time and if you can keep that going um then it's yeah you're you're kind of you're you're looking good <laughs> Liam you said to me before our chat you said that music it keeps me working on my own self it keeps me looking inward for ways I can improve not just as a musician but as a person the fact that you've made music a way of life and you've earned a living, do you look back on, say, the past 10 years of, of playing school, university, and now where you're at now? Are you proud of, of where you've got to? Um, yeah, I am. I am. I am. Um, yeah, look, I'm, I'm proud of, um, you know, what I've been able to, to achieve so far. It's kind of... Um, the exciting aspect for me is more just what's what's to come and... Um, you know, I like looking back and going, you know, I think, um, when I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about coming in here and I was thinking about everything that I've done and looking back on it and I thought, well, you know, um, maybe I do need to spend a bit more time sometimes looking back and going, yeah, well, that, that is cool. You know, I've managed to do quite a bit so far, but I've just got so much more to go. And I think that's the most exciting part for me. Um, cause you, you're just always learning always learning. And that's what I like, um, about the music that I'm really drawn to now, particularly in, um, in jazz, I find that it's constantly moving and it's constantly changing. Um, and it has to, um, you know, um, in order to try and, you know, not get stale and, and to bring in new ideas. So I like the fact that, you know, from now until, you know, the day I die, I'm going to be learning new stuff and you're never, you're never not an apprentice. You know, I think that's the most um, exciting thing for me about being a musician is, um, 
and you do you ask you know ask your other musicians you go what are you working on at the moment and they go well this week I'm working on I'm working on this and um, you know the next week they go well I really want to improve this and it's it's you know the fact that you never truly master anything and you can come back to things later on um, it, yeah like I'm proud of what I've achieved so far but it's definitely it's definitely a looking forward sort of thing for me at the moment um, and um, you know keeping my eye on the horizon and what's to come I guess yeah. Do you ever consider what your life might have been out been like without music when you think of kind of sliding doors moments if your dad hadn't turned on the Beatles and Supertramp? Do yeah. you do you ever consider what life might have been like? Yeah, yeah. Um I was really into art as a kid and drawing and um uh, my my mum was a, was an art teacher and um you know she she always drew and she always painted and stuff. So I I really liked that when I was quite young and I thought for a sh- short time there I was like oh I might be uh, a graphic designer or something, or I might be, yeah, I don't know. But it was it was definitely something creative still. But, um, but yeah, that there were there were moments of um, of uh, you know maybe maybe this isn't going to be um, the, the the my whole be all and end all you know music and stuff. But um, but yeah, for the most part, it was um, it was pretty pretty um, solidified for me early on. Uh, I think I was pretty sure, um, particularly finishing school, you know, knowing I was going to, to go to AIM and do my degree, I think from that point it was like, well, um, all right, this is going to be it. Um, and you're spending a lot of money on this degree. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, private institute fees. So um, it was like, well, got to got to make it happen now. And I, But I didn't really want it to be any other way. You know, I definitely, um, there might have been moments where I thought otherwise, but um, yeah, it's overwhelmingly, it was always just going to be music, you know. You, nowadays you do a lot of gigs around Blue Mountains, Sydney, Penrith. Has there been, I guess, a favorite or a standout gig that you've performed at? Kind of something that's so far has been like a, a real career highlight? Yeah. Um, so last year, uh, my trio, um, played at Lakeside Long Lunch, um, down at the, uh, Penrith Regatta Centre. Um, that was for the Lakeside Long Lunch Food and Wine Festival. It was their debut year last year, and it was so much fun. It was awesome. Um, you know, they had a few thousand people there, and it was, uh, you know, obviously, <laughs> it seems weird to say that now in, in these current times, but, um, you know, a few thousand people there enjoying the food and the wine. It was great to play a couple of sets for them. I did a solo set and then had my trio come on, and um, it was nice to, to kind of be able to play to, to that sort of size of event, um, that was a lot of fun, uh, yeah, look, I guess, um, I guess anything where I've been able to, um, um, play with my quartet or my trio, um, I've really enjoyed doing, you know, my Lazy Bones gigs, um, very recently, and, um, and that sort of thing, it's, I, I, yeah, I, I'm not sure there's, uh, a real pinpoint, um, you know, top, uh, top gig or whatever, but, um, I guess anything where I've been able to um, spruik my um, the stuff I'm most passionate about, so the jazz stuff um, with my trio, or my quartet, or even just on my own, um, that's probably that's probably the highlights for me. Um, I like I, I always love playing, but you know something about um, playing the music that you're that you know is as close to your heart. Um, there's something really special about that. So. And in the jazz scene, is there a not necessarily a location, but you know, city or an area that you would 
like you know bucket list. I would love to. You know, would you love to play New Orleans or is there oh, something that's kind of top of the list for you? Absolutely. Well, I mean, they always say New York um, is kind of the the the, uh, the epicenter of jazz. Um, New Orleans definitely. That's kind of you know where jazz originated, so to speak. Um, uh, I'd love to go over to the states at some stage and, and um, even go over there with you know with some other musicians, trio or quartet, quartet or something, and just um, yeah, tour around and check out what's around there. It's a it's a huge place, a lot bigger than it is here. Um, you know, um, Sydney Sydney has its great scene as well, and that's that's what I've been um, that's what I've been discovering, um, particularly over the last year, is just how rich the the scene is here and how much we have to offer in Australia. We've got our, um, our, our definitely our own sound. I think there is, um, there is a, in, in quotation marks, you know, an Australian jazz sound, and, and we've had a lot of greats over the years come out of this country, um, and a lot of great venues as well. Um, one from that, sadly, one that's uh, not around anymore, but one that comes to mind is back when the basement was around. Um, that was just such a huge hub for, for, for jazz music and just had, you know, a whole myriad of world-class jazz musician, musicians and musicians from Australia as well come through there. It just had, there's so much history. Um, I was listening to some tapes recently. A lot of other uh, jazz musicians out there will, will, um, will have listened to these as well. There was recently some tapes released from the basement. Um, the, uh, the, the in-house uh, audio engineer there um, recorded a whole series of, of gigs in the, in the 80s and early 90s and he um, just had them all sitting there and he decided to release them um, online and they're just just um, priceless recordings of all these you know um, really really like you know world-class groups and and things and um, yeah from such a from such a, a golden time as well you know um, a lot of really iconic um, jazz musicians there you know Bernie McGann and you know, Don Burrows and stuff like that so it's you know a lot of guys that aren't around um playing anymore so it's it's you know it's such a um a nice you know thing to to have online to have a listen to it kind of gives you a good insight as to what the scene has was before you know before my time before our time but yeah look there's a lot of great venues for for jazz around 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 the city um and i'm, I'm hoping to, to to you know get into them all at some stage um and and put something together just at, you know again trying to um trying to you know spread you know, my music as, as far as I can and bring it to as many people as, as possible. And, um, yeah, Sydney's, um, uh, I know people have said that, um, uh, the nightlife there has taken a big hit over the last few years and it definitely has. But, um, if you know where to look, there's still so much happening. And I think people just need to, um, need to be, uh, you know, need to be savvy with how they look for, um, you know, these gigs. There's, there's so much online where you can get, you know, people are, people are posting stuff all the time on different forums and different pages. Um, there's, you know, Australian Jazz Gig Guide and things like that, for example, that have all these posts outlining what's coming up. Um, and there's such a community that, um, sure, it might not be, you know, up in bright lights, you know, on, on uh, you know, Sydney Broadway or whatever, but it's, but it's, it's out there. And if you know where to find it, um, there's just so much to, to explore musically. Um, yeah, so if I can just continue to... Um, play with different people and play different venues down there I'd be, I'd be more than happy This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media For three decades Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender 
Whether it's The Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, The Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Does your musical inspiration come from these days? You know, we've talked about, I guess, the influences, you know, different jazz musicians, but how much of that is also personal experience that shapes your writing? Yeah. Um, so I guess um, my, yeah, so my my influence personally. Um, so I had, a, it, I've had a kind of a bit of a mixed bag um, uh, throughout my life. I had a really, really great um upbringing, uh, lots of, yeah, loving family, big family. Um, but I had a, a couple of things that, um, that took a bit of a toll. Uh, so when I was 13, I lost my brother David to suicide. Um, he was 18 at the time. Um, and just, just, yeah, so tragically young. Um, and that kind of really rocked our family. He was, he was, um, you know, a young guy that was, you know, intelligent, smart, you know, so full of, full of life, but, um, obviously just really struggled at that time and didn't really see the situation getting much better, which, um, which is, is really, really awful to, to, to think about, um, the fact that he, he didn't see any way out. You know, I, yeah, when I think about when I was 18, just how much I had to learn about the world and growing up and how much I had to learn about trying to shape the person that I was, um, you just, it's so, it's so early on in your adult life, you're just beginning, um, that it, you know, kind of, um, upsets me to think that he, you know, um, didn't see life getting better than what it was at that particular stage. It was very sudden, you know, um, of course, and, and everyone in the family was, was really, um, and still is, you know, really rocked by that. Um, and it's, it's something that I, um, have thought about a lot over the years when it comes to music, I've often thought about, well, um, I, I should pay some sort of musical homage to him or I should write a song for him, you know, and that, that's always seemed like something that I, that I need to do. Um, or it seemed like the obvious thing to do, you know? Um, and, um, and I've, I've, you know, looked, I've tried to do that um, over many years, I've got many drafts of songs that didn't quite come to fruition and different things where I didn't feel like they sat right or it wasn't quite what I was going for as far as, as far as, um, you know, um, being a bit of a tribute to my brother. Um, and for, for that reason, I kind of, I've never quite landed on something that I've been completely happy with. It's still something that I think, um, uh, I will, I will, I will do. And when the time's right and it feels right, it will happen and it will eventuate. I just don't want it to, it's so far, it's just felt a bit, um, uh, like I was just putting pressure on myself to, to do it and it felt a bit contrived and, and not quite natural. And it's still something that I look forward to, to doing. Um, but it's, it's always something that you, um, you think about, you, you know, you think, um, you know, is there, is there something that I could have done, you know, at the time to, to help the situation or to do this? And I know many people in, in our family have um, had those thoughts crop up from time to time over the years, but it's just not a healthy way 
to think. You can't let yourself think like that. Um, and there's, you know, you, you need to give yourself a lot of grace there. And I've done that with myself with music as well and be like, I will write something for, especially for him that I'm really happy with and it sits right with me and I feel like pays a great tribute to him as a person. Um, and that will happen when it, when the time is right and when it, when it, when it just does come naturally and doesn't feel like it has to be forced. Um, uh, yeah, so that was that was um, just as I was uh, kind of starting high school. I was in year seven at the time. Um, do you think it? Sorry to jump in. Do you yeah. think it, it really hit you at the time in terms of the? Because I mean, suicide is such a, a complex thing. Do you think yeah. you properly comprehended it then, or it was later in life? I don't think I did. I think I thought I did. Um, I think it was. Um, something that I kind of scratched the surface with as far as comprehending what it was, what, what happened there. Um, but now that I'm, now that I'm older, I think I can, you know, kind of grasp, um, uh, not necessarily firsthand, but I, I can, I, I know a lot more people who have experienced it. Um, you know, I, I can, um, understand a little more, you know, mental health problems, um, and things that can affect people and how they like how they manifest and how they're not, um, not very obvious a lot of the time. Um, or they can be very, they can be very hidden. Um, and people can, um, you know, use different personal mechanisms to mask things or to, um, make everybody seem like the, you know, um, make it seem like to everybody that they're, they're fine and they're okay. And everything's, you know, um, everything's as it should be when often it's not. Um, so at that stage, no, I don't think I really understood it um, 100%. Um, but I, it was, it was a little bit, um, a bit of a weird time because I, I was, uh, I remember having a lot of thoughts. I was obviously devastated as well, but I had a lot of thoughts about when you're so young like that, you're, you still kind of, um, are learning how to grieve different things. Um, I think. And so you kind of are trying to take cues from other people as well. As a kid, you're kind of going, is this how I should feel about this? Do I, well, um, well, you know, um, and sometimes, you know, on days where I was okay, you know, when, on days where, um, it wasn't, didn't seem to be, you know, um, taking as much of a toll on me or it didn't seem to be affecting me as bad. Some of those days I would feel really a little bit guilty and I'd be going, oh, well, why other people, other friends and family aren't feeling this way? So what does that mean? And how do I, you know, how do I, um, how do I work through that? Um, and I think as a, as a young person, that was, um, something that, uh, didn't necessarily, um, uh, you know, um, wasn't something I fully understood at the time, but as I've gone on, particularly with music, um, it's, I think I've kind of maybe perhaps, um, emotionally grown to understand a lot more of those things now as an adult. Um, but yeah, at that time, I think I was just too young to fully get it, you know, um, even though at 13, you like to think you're, you like to think you're all grown up and you like to, you like to think, well, I, you know, know everything there is to know, but, but yeah. Um, so no, I don't think I fully understood it at that time. Um, something that I've tried to grow, grow to know. Um, um, but yeah, it's, I think, yeah, it's, it's a tricky thing. Um, learning to deal with grief, um, you know, after, after the loss of David, um, a few years later, I uh, lost my biological mum. She was unwell for quite a few years. Um, 
and she she passed. Um, I, th- I think I was about sixteen, or um, maybe even close to seventeen, something like that. Um, and um, and that was um, that was again something that I um, had to try and learn to, to, to deal with and learn to grieve with. Um, that that when 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 Mum passed. Um, it was kind of a different story to Dave because Dave was this young guy who had his whole life ahead of him. Um, and it's just, you know, so full of life. Um, and my mum was someone who struggled, uh, for a long time with alcoholism and she had various health problems because of it. Um, she had various organ issues and stuff and she, for the majority of my life, she spent a long time in and out of hospital and that sort of thing. And that, and as, and, um, my, um, you know, my fondest memories of spending time with mum was probably when I was a lot younger. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a bit of a situation which was a little bit different to deal with because I lived most of my life with my dad and my stepmom, um, which was a fantastic household to be in. Um, and I would visit my mom and she had her partner, Matt as well, um, who was a lovely man, great man to, to, um, look up to growing up as, as a, as a youngster. Um, but I would, I would go and visit mum, um, you know, do the, the weekends thing or school holidays. Um, and, um, and during those times, a lot of the time she was, she was quite sick, um, quite unwell or she, or she'd go off for a while and, and go and get a, go to a clinic and get herself well, you know, and do detoxes and this sort of thing. So I was not, um, you know, it wasn't a new thing for her to be, um, not in a good way. Um, and, and I knew for, I guess I knew for quite a number of years that she wasn't going to be around for a long time. And so I think because of that, I had sort of come to grips with it a little bit to the point where, um, it wasn't a shock and it wasn't sudden, certainly not like Dave was. Um, and so when she, when she did finally, finally pass, my, my dad came and let me know. And it was kind of, while it was a big blow and it still, it still is. And it's something that I'm learning is actually a little bit more of, um, a blow than I perhaps initially thought it was. Um, but at the same time, there was a little bit of relief there knowing that she wasn't suffering anymore. Um, and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's still something that I, um, deal with a lot. It's, um, I'd like to think, you know, I don't spend a huge amount of time thinking about it and, and the more I'm. I'm realizing that more and more because, um, the moment when I think I'm all moved on and okay with it, something crops up that makes me think about it again. And it kind of opens the floodgate to those emotions again. And it's, it's usually when something happens in my life that, um, I feel like I wish that she was there for, um, or, you know, a particular milestone happens, for example, you know, when I graduated school or uni or those sort of things. And it's, um, so those sort of things, um, are still kind of raw a little bit, but, um, I, I probably don't visit those thoughts and emotions as much as I should. And that's something that I'm kind of learning to deal with as well. Um, but much like with Dave, musically speaking, I've always wanted to, um, pay a similar tribute to my mom in that way. Um, and, um, just, yeah, I haven't quite found the way to do that yet. And I think that's something that I've learned to come to terms with and when it, when it happens, it happens, you know, when it's, when the time's right, um, I'll be happy with it and it'll just, it'll come to me. And I think, um, I think I've given myself that grace 
knowing that, you know, okay, so I'm 24 now, um, maybe I'm just still getting there in terms of learning how to put something and comprehend putting something like that together, like a tribute for something like that. Um, as I think you, I think a certain amount of life experience comes to, comes into play with things like that. Um, so I'm, I am, I am, um, I am hopeful for, for both Dave and my mum that I can put something musically together to, yeah, I guess to pay tribute to their lives and, and to the sort of people they were. Um, so I haven't got a, a, a tangible object to, to signify their lives at this stage artistically from me, but I feel like, um, the experience of losing those, losing those loved ones has certainly kind of found its way into my playing in some form or another, you know, somewhere in the, the deep fabric of what I do, it's, it, it, I, I feel like it would come out somewhere. Um, and I feel like that's, I feel like that's always going to be the case. Um, um, positive or, or negative or, you know, more upsetting things that happen in life, they'll always find a way of coming out in your, in your, in your creative, um, outlet, you know? So, yeah. Through times of adversity and losing two loved ones, what, what did you learn about the importance of, I guess, love and support yeah. of friends and family? Yeah. Uh, I learned so much about it and, and it was interesting. Um, I guess you could say that this was a bit of a silver lining from, um, particularly with, with, um, first of all, with, with Dave's passing, just how many people came together to, to, uh, comfort one another and, and be there for each other it was just like amazing. It was just, you know, all these people coming, coming out of the work. Um, and with our close immediate family, I think it really brought everybody closer together. Um, and it really, you know, for, for we're, again, we're a large kind of mixed family of lots of step siblings and half siblings. And it's all, you know, it's a big, wonderful mix of people. And it kind of showed us that, um, really checking in with each other and making sure that everyone's okay is, is a, is a huge part of what we need to do in life. Um, and it also just, um, it's kind of, I think it's, you know, like any kind of traumatic event, you know, any kind of shared trauma that you have, that you share with people brings you closer, you know, no matter what that might be. Um, and, and, and a similar thing with, with my mom, you know, I had a lot of really, really close friends, um, um, who comforted me a lot, uh, through that. And, um, and my dad and my stepmom, Robin were, you know, have always been wonderful with that, um, and very supportive. So, um, family and friends are, are just such an integral part of when something like that happens, you know, um, whatever the adversity might be, because, um, and I guess this is what they, the, uh, what comes out of a lot of things like, are you okay day? And that sort of thing is that you don't need to feel like you need to, uh, hold all of that weight on your own. You, you have to, um, it's good to feel like you can share it. Um, because it is like a, it's almost like a physical load, you know, it's, it's kind of, um, with something as emotionally burdening as that, it can actually feel like it's, you know, a weight on your shoulders, but it's something that you, if you share it with everybody and you help each other through it, it's not definitely not as much of a, a hurdle to get over. So I think it's, um, it really kind of highlighted the importance of just having each other's backs and, um, looking out for one another. It was a big thing. And it's something that I've certainly carried forward, um, in my life with my friends and family. It's, it's, um, it's, um, uh, 
yeah, to me, it's really important to, to check in with everybody and just make sure that, you know, they're doing, they're doing okay and they're, they're in a good place. Yeah. Liam, first of all, I want to say thank you for, for your honesty and sharing those stories because I think you're right, it is, it is so important that we as a society, that people feel comfortable talking about these things as, as hard and as raw as it is, the more people talk, the more people connect, especially during the times we're seeing in 2020, the better off everyone will be. I think if people are holding on to things, if they're not staying physically and mentally active, yeah. that's to the detriment of themselves and, and, the, and others. So, yeah, big thank you for, for, oh, for touching pleasure. on those stories, mate. No, thank you. Touching, I guess, on um, your approach to music and what you've been through, what advice would you have for... For anyone, whether it's musicians, artists, any creatives who they've got a passion but they want to turn it into something more, what advice would you have for them? Um, I would say, and this is even some advice that I would give my younger self, um, from as early on as possible, open yourself up to as many opportunities as you can. Um, Say yes to, particularly in the early stages, say yes to working with um, lots of different people, say yes to... Um, taking on projects that you might not have thought that you were going to, you know, that might not, you might not have thought was originally your thing um, or, you know, up your alley. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so with that comes networking, you know, spread, spread yourself around and, and, and um, meet people who want to do the same thing and connect with them as early as you can. Um, and then uh, just find ways to, to, um, to hone that, that craft, you know, it is a craft and be, be, um, forgiving with yourself and be, know that you're not going to have it perfect, you know, from the get go. Um, there's going to be a lot of mistakes. Um, and you, but you will learn from those mistakes, even if it doesn't feel like you do. Um, and I think with anything creative, if you want to turn it into something of, of a living, understand that both in a craft sense and financially, you're going to see ups and downs and lots of plateaus. Um, heaps of plateaus. There's there's long expanses of time where you feel like you're just planing, um, but that will change. And if you find ways to extend yourself, you know that might be um, someone calls you and says, "Hey, I got this um, this new opportunity for you. Do you want to take it? Take it and grab it with both hands and just really try and um, extend yourself in as many ways as possible because that's where real growth comes from. Um, and working hard and growth is. Um, trying to grow is so much more important than talent or um, giftedness. You know, those words are, are something that are thrown around a lot. Um, and there is a certain element of that, yes, you know, with, with anything creative or a skill set, um, it's, I think it's kind of, you know, 20, 80, you know, kind of maybe, or maybe even less on the 20, you know, it could be even 10, 90 talent and and natural aptitude the rest is hard work and the rest is willingness to extend yourself um so you know try and extend yourself as much as you can um but be proud of what you've what what you are good at and and hone those skills and try and um shape your brand and shape your uh your artistic self around your strong points um because um those are those are really what is going to make you stand out you know um, if you're, if you're naturally good at, um, you know, uh, singing like a crooner, we'll go and croon. If you're naturally, you know, someone who likes to, you know, you're a rock belter or something, go and go and do the rock thing. But, you know, 
do what suits you best um, and hone that and expand that and take that art form forward um, because it's going to make you stand out. Um, It's going to highlight your strong points, which is kind of what you have to do. Um, And it's going to give you kind of a sense of individuality as well. And Liam, do you believe in life that we find or that we create ourselves as people in terms of do you think the, the path is laid out for us or that every decision we make shapes where we end up? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, I think something that I'm realizing more and more um, recently is the decision. It, the decisions that you make are the only thing that, in the end, decide what what you make of your your life. In you know, in speaking in a creative sense, there's not really. It's a little bit naive to think that if you just go through the motions and do the right things, the 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 opportunities will come your way. Some do. Sometimes you get lucky and things pop up, um, but usually it's you have to make um, some sort of decision to take that on, um, even if it's just a small one. You know, it could just be saying yes to something, but that decision is what will, is going to propel you forward. As you go, um, people will offer you things without you having to necessarily go and seek them, but that's only once you've got your momentum really rolling. Um, so that's that's something that takes probably a few years to get together. Luck can sometimes be a part of it. There are definitely people that are luckier than others, for sure. But most of it is just your own decision-making. And, you know, even decision-making doesn't have to be, well, I'm going to go to to the con, or I'm going to go to AIM and do a degree, or I'm going to... It can just be as little as, I'm going to get up today, and I'm going to practice for half an hour or an hour, you know. Um, Or... I really want to work on writing songs. So I'm going to get up and I'm going to write a song, you know, and I'm going to try and get something done. Um, Something that results in you having a product to show for your work at the end of not even just a day, but a week, a year, you know, um, is uh, those things kind of uh, accumulate, accumulate to, 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 um, into what builds you as an artist, you know, Um, it's your, it's your, it's your social media post. It's your, uh, writing your songs, it's your gigs, it's just your, it's your chats, you know, it's like us talking today, it, it's all character building and it all, you know, uh, ends up, you know, forming what you are going to carry forward for, for your life, you know, um, as a creative person and, and I mean, not just as creators for everybody, but it's, um, yeah, your decisions, you just be aware that you are in control of them and you can, you can kind of really make your you can really make your life what you want it to be if you just grasp them properly, which can sometimes even mean um, just saying no. You know, I've, I've been teaching a lot of young students where um, they've asked me different things and, I, and I've said, particularly with um, uh, some opportunities that come up, I, I say, well, you've got to um, uh, like try and work out what's going to work for you. It can sometimes mean being a little bit, uh, you know, a bit selfish at times. You know, is this going to be worth, worth it for me? What am I going to gain from this? Um, because uh, it might, you know, being a little bit selfish you know, in the immediate sense means you're you're probably able to give more later on. Because if it furthers you as an artist, um, then you you have more to offer people later on down the track. And that's that's what you know. That's a large part of why I do what I do is because I love I love um, you know giving people something a part of myself or giving people um, you know something that they can uh, enjoy, whether it be you know, um, just instrumental music or whether it be, um, something that I sing or, you know, 
some lyrics that I write, um, something that they can take something from and be like, well, you know, I, I like that. That made me think about this. That made me, you know, assess something, you know. And Liam, how do people follow your progress? How do they check you out on social media? And, and you know, how do they check out your latest EP, Your Light? Yeah. So Your Light uh, is um, is out on Bandcamp at the moment. Um, so you can follow my Facebook page, Liam Gray. Um, you can uh, also check me out on Instagram, liam.gray.jazz. Um, I'll have the links up there uh, to my Bandcamp where you can check out the album. Um, also, feel free to yeah, if you want to um, email me, send me check you know check in. Uh, my email address is bookliamgray at gmail Yeah, so yeah, thanks so much, <laughs> Liam. Thank you for a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate your your openness, your honesty, oh, thank you. and sharing what is a pretty amazing journey, mate. And wishing you all the best. Thanks very much. Mate. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and proudly presented by The Western Weekender.